Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the Arab-American neighborhood outside Chicago where director Asiya Boondawi grew up, most of her neighbors think they have been under surveillance for over a decade. While investigating their experiences, Asiya uncovers tens of thousands of pages of FBI documents that prove her hometown was the subject of one of the largest counterterrorism investigations ever conducted in the U.S. before 9-11, codename Operation Vulgar Betrayal. With unprecedented access, the feeling of being watched weaves the personal and the political as it follows the filmmaker's examination of why her community fell under the blanket of government surveillance. And with that, we welcome to the program the director of this truly remarkable documentary. And it is a personal documentary, and it is about just not only just her family and her community, but it's about what makes us, what is America today, and, and why, why are we, in many ways, why do we react the way we do? And with that, I'd like to welcome to the program Asiya Moondawi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This is uh, this is not only a film project, but it's also something that is a very personal. Uh, I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. uh, about your filmmaking background. Sure. Actually, my background, uh, this was my first uh, film, um, not just feature length, but the first film I ever started making. Uh, and for years, actually, I worked as a radio journalist. Uh, for National Public Radio and different public radio outlets. My medium was audio and radio, and I hadn't really dabbled in um, cinema at all. I started working on another film project a year before I started um, working on the feeling of being watched. I was working as an archival researcher and using my background as a journalist to sort of do research for this HBO film. And while I was working on that film, you know, I'd always thought I would love to tell the story of growing up under surveillance and my family's story, my personal story of, of this experience, and actually do some investigating into what happened. And I always thought that I would do that as a radio story. And then, um, you know, I started working as a archival researcher on this other film, and I thought to myself, you know, a, a film or a story about surveillance necessarily, you know, dictates uh, you to use uh, a visual medium as a tool to tell that story. And so I started thinking, you know, uh, no, this is not a radio story. Actually, this is a film. Um, and so I started, so I decided, okay, I'm going to make a film here because talking about surveillance and, and a story about being a under it and what the feeling of being watched was like, that experience was like, we wanted, you know, I wanted it, the audience to be able to feel that. And I thought, you know, I couldn't, uh, the tool to, to tell a story was not ready for that was cinema. Well, in the film, you introduce us to your family. Also, the sort of pervasive sense within the community, within the, your na- this neighborhood, your neighborhood, of that the FBI has, has had that neighborhood under surveillance for a a very long time, and it's in the film. It is. It comes across as it's sort of become. I wouldn't say an accepted part of the community's life, but it certainly is something that everyone seems to know about and be aware of. The next part of that, it, it has then. How do you approach them about your desire to do this, a film about it, about this FBI surveillance? 
what was your approach? What was your sort of, how did you, how did you come to them and say, this is what I want to do? I just started by doing exactly that. Going, you know, going to folks and saying, here's, you know, here's what I'm up to. I want to um, tell a story of our experience with the surveillance. And I'm also, as a journalist, investigating it. And <laughs> would you talk to me? Uh, on camera. I mean, with my family, there was a lot of talking to them off camera about this idea and what they thought. Yeah. It was not an easy thing. Like with my family, it was different, but going door to door in the neighborhood, um, you know, we started out this film and really I started out the process with doing this door to door, asking people about their experience with surveillance. And, you know, you're walking around yeah. a neighborhood that's been traumatized by surveillance and by having cameras pointed at it uh, and uh, people extracting information and data from it. That's the context, right? This is a neighborhood that's been traumatized by that. And you're stepping in there with a camera, (laughs) asking people to talk about that experience on camera. So that was obviously hard, you know, like even walking around the neighborhood, people were really suspicious. Uh, (laughs) Like, who are you? Are you filming? You know, people who knew me, it was a little different. There were some people who didn't recognize that I'm from the neighborhood and I live, you know, my mom lives down down the street and this is where I grew up. We're very suspicious and this is like triggering to see somebody walking around overtly um, filming it. So there was a lot of, you know, and and this was the process was like a five-year-long process. We filmed in the neighborhood for about five years altogether. And so it was like building trust over time. And I think I took for granted in the beginning that because I was with my family, because I was filming in my old neighborhood, that I would just, that, that it, I would be granted immediate access. But I realized like really early on that I had to do the work that I would do it, you know, on any kind of journalism project or any kind of like, anytime I would want to film anything of building trust with people letting people in on what my intentions were, what I planned to do with the project, where I was going, why I was doing it. And that was also something that learning over time. So I I mentioned this was a five-year-long project. For the first two years, I was making it very much as a journalist, with a journalistic distance from it. And about um, two years in, I started making a personal film and I made this big shift. You know, the reason, the why... Um, as I was explaining to people like why I was interested in doing this changed also and became a lot more personal. One of the very first scenes in the film is you uh, looking out the window and talking about how people were working on the telephone pole at three and three o'clock in the morning and how, you know, this is just one, I, I mean, I, I, looking at the film now, as I've seen it, sort of one more thing in the context of this bigger picture. And this is a question that's asked in, you ask in the film, how the surveillance is being done in almost in plain sight. I mean, it, everyone in the, in the community mm-hmm. knows it, how that plays out within the community in terms of repressive I mean, I would say, yeah, when you when you know you're being watched, it changes the way you move in the world. It changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. Um, you know, this idea that someone is watching um, makes you, even, even the idea of it, it's not just the fact of that there is surveillance. Even the idea that there might be surveillance changes your behavior. And that just goes back to this whole idea of the panopticon that I talk about in the film, which is... Uh, you know, uh, a theory that uh, this is how government executes control over its population through this perception of surveillance and, and the actual, in fact, surveillance as well. So I think, like, in regards to my community, 
some of these effects are like some of them are really subtle and some of them are uh, really obvious. So, yeah. you know, people stop uh, trusting each other in a community that feels like is under surveillance all the time because one of the ways the FBI conducts surveillance is through the use of informants, for example, in the neighborhood, recruiting people in the neighborhood to give information. So people stop trusting each other um, if the FBI comes and visits you, don't talk to your neighbor about it. A community, an immigrant community that is, you know, really very much built on trust, the social capital of, like, personal relationships with each other begins to degrade under that kind of pressure. Uh, so people don't trust each other anymore. People, if they feel that their, their mosque is being watched or a charity they used to donate to is under surveillance and they stop going there, they stop donating there, you know, it affects, it affects like, all of the kind of the branches and the connectors that right. link a uh, community and the community network and and it, you know the community begins to suffer in that way right and then also like if you're a student for example you know like you you also see that there is a price to pay for identifying as Muslim so you'd rather not go at your university and join the Muslim Student Association or associate yourself with other Muslims we won't be active in certain political causes because you're afraid that if you are vocal about your political opinions, that could be a reason you get targeted. So you start to kind of like, you censor yourself in all of these different ways, so overt and subtle, um, that change who you are because of this uh, external pressure of surveillance. It is the burden of the presumption of guilt. There, it, You're mm-hmm. treated like you're already guilty of something in interpersonal relationships when you're dealing with something that like that it is a shattering sort of dynamic in an interpersonal relationship but taking it writ large into a community where you have the apparatus of government of law enforcement of the educational system all different kinds of things that can come in and bear pressure on that sense of presumption of guilt is really a, it, it is it's a shattering sort of thing to go through I think just on that note, presumption of guilt, I think like the best example of that is um, is the name of the investigation itself. Yes. It's so theatrical. You know, Operation Vulgar Betrayal. If you name an investigation Vulgar Betrayal, that means you've already made the assumption uh, that there's a betrayal, right. that the people involved are traitors. And, and that's implicit in just the title that the FBI gave to this investigation. Right. So, yeah. Right. Let, let, and that's a great segue because I should have uh, prefaced all of this by a description of some. We should be describing <laughs> what Operation Vulgar Betrayal is, uh, the, an FBI investigation, when it was in the broad parameters of it, when it was launched. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, so, Operation Vulgar Betrayal is the FBI investigation um, of a immigrant Muslim American community in the southwest side of Chicago, which is the neighborhood where I grew up, and um, it started in the early 90s and went on for more than a decade, Um, and it was at the time the largest domestic FBI terrorism investigation ever launched and was focused on my neighborhood in Chicago. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the director of this terrific documentary uh, film that's coming out here in Los Angeles, I believe on June 21st here in Los Angeles. Please check this out. Uh, the film is called The Feeling of Being Watched, and we're joined today by Asia Boon Dawi. She is the director as well as the producer 
as well as what else did you did a lot of different things on here and in, in addition to be this one of the, <laughs> the subject the writer and the subject uh in in many ways the subject our guide into this uh, this muslim community in chicago and it's uh it is a a film in which not only do we see the impacts on your family and on on your neighbors but also in the course of this investigation into what was happening you uncover what by I believe many accounts is one of the largest under um, surveillance operations prior to 9-11, certainly maybe the largest in, in one of the largest in our nation's history, right? Yeah, definitely before 9-11, the largest domestic terrorism investigation before 9-11, yeah. Right, and and as we see in the film, without giving uh, a lot away, we you at, near the end of the film, we sort of recount other FBI mm-hmm. investigations into other communities within the, the history of our, our country, which is pretty despicable stuff. Well, what's been the reaction to to the feeling of being watched within uh, well, within your family? How how's it, how how was your mom is such a wonderful subject in the film. She comes across <laughs> as just she's really got a just this winning personality. She's very open. She's very yeah. honest. She's I was just and mm-hmm. I'm glad you put her in right at the beginning because she just pulls you right into the film. She she's got she's yeah. just got a great energy to her. But I'm just curious about mm-hmm. her reaction and and maybe other family members how they've reacted to the film. Um, yeah, she's, she's amazing, actually, uh, like our entire, when we were shooting the film, like our entire production, like headquarters were based out of her house, um, because she's right there in the neighborhood, and so, you know, she was, she was one of those characters that emerged in, in the edit, she was someone we filmed so much with, and I was always, like, coming back from an interview or something, talking to my mom about how it went, or, so she was constantly updated how, you know, things were going, and we filmed so many of those interactions, and in the edit, we realized, oh, like, oh, wow, mom is the star. <laughs> my mom is actually the star of the show. She really is. Um, <laughs> she really yeah, comes across, yeah. It was amazing. And so, yeah, so what we did, actually, we had a screening in the neighborhood, and we invited, like, we put invitations under everyone in the neighborhood store. People have seen us for, like, for five years. So, like, we're finally done. We would like to, you know, we're hosting a free screening for the community. Come on out. And more than 500 people came. My whole family was there. And we did, you know, we screened the film. And it was really, actually, a very emotional event, really powerful. It was the first time in a lot of ways that that many people had gathered to talk out loud about something we had only whispered about for years at the community and it was uh very emotional people were really emotional and we had you know like uh, it's been interesting with the film the reception of the film we're really having a conversation not so much about civil rights and like from a legal framework but we're really talking about all of this from a trauma framework and talking about like what would healing what does healing look like in the face of collective trauma that is ongoing right you know we had actually um we had healers and, like, mental health uh, and rents, um workers come and, like, facilitate the post-screening conversation with the community. And it was really powerful to have this conversation out loud and, and to talk about um, how important it was to 
start talking about this out loud and that that was one step towards this kind of healing. And yeah, it was amazing to uh, see so many people also in the audience shout out my mom and <laughs> she was so happy to be there. Um, yeah, she's really enjoyed it. She's come out to some of the film festivals too. She was at Tribeca at her world premiere. And, nice. Um, she's been enjoying it actually. I think she kind of likes the attention secretly. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well in fun. addition in addition to the, her sort of her you know her personality she's a terrific advocate in the film and mm-hmm. in a way and again this mm-hmm. is a part of the experience of watching the film and that is that being told in some ways being told by authorities that you're you know you're wrong when you know you're right mm-hmm. this is sort of that there's that dynamic as well I mean mm-hmm. who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes kind of approach to mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what what's happening in your own lives. So there's that part of it, and I can imagine this this, you know, this sh- screening that you had for the for the neighborhood would be cathartic. I would I just can't imagine that you wouldn't watch it and 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 a validation of all the things that you you and and yeah everyone had known totally. yeah. So I'm I'm sure that was just had to be a great experience for you personally as well as as a filmmaker. So yeah, um, yeah, it was super validating. I think like on one level this film was also like a love letter to the neighborhood where I grew up and to actually show it to the neighborhood and to the people who I had in my mind as the audience you know the entire time and to see how they received it um, was very powerful and validating as a filmmaker and you can go to thefeelingofbeingwatched.com thefeelingofbeingwatched.com is the place where you can go find out more but you'll be here in um in Los Angeles, uh, it'll be screening on uh, at the Lemley Music Hall in Los Angeles, right there on Wilshire Boulevard. It's really kind of Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great theater. It's a great place to see uh, see a film. And are you out here for uh, a Q and A? Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there all week, actually, um, doing different Q and As, and we'll have some special guests coming in on different nights, moderating the post-screening conversations. So, yeah, we're, we'll be there for seven days. So come out and uh, join us. I, I want to just say what a warm presence you are in the film. I mean, there are times in the film that I can't imagine you weren't incredibly frustrated. There's a phone call, which <laughs> I don't want to give away, which I thought you handled beautifully. Mm. I mean, all of there's just so many mm. elements to this film. But at the but at the end of the day, you are just a, um, you're, you're, calm through all of this uh, and your ability to kind of navigate this and your ability to to bring people into conversations that were would be uncomfortable and in some ways maybe even uh, there was a, a more than a little bit of fear in even saying the mm-hmm. things that they said out loud t- to you uh, you just come mm-hmm. across as someone who is very good at making people feel comfortable and in under the circumstances mm-hmm. that had to be in a very important part of what you were trying to accomplish here and i, I just uh you know i appreciate that thank you thank you well, well thank you thank you so much again the film is called the feeling of being watched and a, as a, as i said you can go to that website thefeelingofbeingwatched.com to find out more about it and again, for thank you so much for your time today here on Film thank School. You. The director, producer, you said writer as well uh, of the film, The Feeling of Being Watched. That's Asya Bundawi. Thank you so very much for being here on Film School. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. That was great. Um, and yeah, take care.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.